0: Turn back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the time that remains to us this evening, I want to direct our thoughts specifically to verse number 9 of this chapter. Verse 9 which reads, That was the true light. Which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. These first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. They make up a most profound passage of scripture. Every single verse is packed with the very essence of Christianity. Christianity. If you want to know why Christianity exists, why is there such a thing as Christianity today, 2023? These 18 verses tell us exactly why. They reveal to us the word of God. They tell us that the word was made flesh. By the time we get to the end of verse 18 in our reading, What we find is that every truth every doctrine the entire doctrine of the work and the person of Jesus Christ has been laid out in such succinct and in such powerful terms. These are things that when we read them it might be easy were it not for the accompanying work of the Holy Spirit to be nothing other than baffled by these words. You see how God can speak in the clearest of terms and in the same words that bring new life to the dead, there are others left in their deadness, in their blindness, in their unhearing state. In in this passage, we see the pre-existence of Jesus Christ in verses 1 and 2. We learn that the Son of God existed from all eternity. We learn that he was not created. He didn't come into existence when he was incarnated. Rather he is God himself. We see his preeminence in verse 3. Where we read that all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. The Son of God is to be exalted above all things. He created all things. Everything that exists. Even the ticks exist for his glory. In Verses 4 and 5 we see his power. He is as powerful as light set against darkness. Where light is, darkness cannot abide. But as light he not only illuminates, we see that he is a life-giving light. He is the only way to true life. And all of that would be remarkable enough that he was eternal and all glory belongs to him that he is powerful. That would all be remarkable enough. But then we see that all of that was revealed to us. All of that is made known to us in his word. God has condescended to send the preacher. In verses 6 to 8. Because of the preaching of the gospel. Because of the truths of the gospel that are laid out for us in these 18 verses. We're now in a situation where the world has known. That Jesus Christ is the son of God that came to die for sinners. That they might live. And the world has known that for over 2000 years. That's the light that shines in the darkness. God, in his mercy, revealed his Christ, the Saviour. And he revealed it in such a way as it makes it entirely undeniable. This is why Christianity exists. This is why today we preach the same word, the same light. We preach the same Christ. Our theme then this evening from verse 9 is simply this Christ revealed. The first thing we see in this verse is that Christ is the true light. We read, That was the true light. And the very nature of light is that it reveals, it illuminates. The opposite of light is darkness. Light makes a difference between visibility and invisibility. If there is no light, we simply cannot see. But let's look at what is revealed concerning Christ as the light. We see that Christ is the original light. We have this word true. He is the true light. And the word for true here it means the real light. It's not real as contrasted with false. In fact, this whole verse is a contrast with John the Baptist. He was not that light, we're told in verse 8. John the Baptist was not that light. But verse 9 says that was the true light. Christ was the true light. So it's not that John the Baptist was a false light. But that Jesus Christ, rather, is the highest form of light. He is the only form of light that is self-existent. It's distinct from all other lights in that sense. You know, when you're in a dim room, a room maybe lit by a candlelight, or even a, even a dim bulb, you walk out into the bright, glaring sunlight, and the vast difference between that sunlight and the dim artificial light that you were using before, that doesn't even approach anywhere near The vast contrast that there is between Christ as the true light and all other forms of light. The words true light, if you're familiar with the Nicene Creed, you'll know that phrase, very God of very God. The word true is that word very. We could say that Christ is the very light. He is light itself. We know that that light has been shining from eternity. We see that in verse 5, the light shineth in darkness. This is no created light. In fact, before there was a light, before there was a world rather, before there was a sun, this light existed. This is hard for us to get our minds around, but we see it plainly revealed in the account of Genesis. It has caused many to stumble and to look to science for the explanation. But we're told quite clearly there that light was created in day one. Let there be light. But Yet the sun was, was clearly, expressly created in day four. How can there be light before there was a sun? But yet we're we seeing here that the true light, the original light, existed from all eternity before there was anything created. It's not so difficult from that perspective to see how a creator God could take a dim reflection of that eternal light and condense it into an orb, but the light existed. All other light is inferior to this light. All other light is secondary. Jesus Christ is as the true light, is the source from which all light comes. But not only the original light. In some senses, this is the antitype. The relationship between Christ as the true light and all other forms of light that are known to us is similar to that as between types and shadows. You're familiar with how the Old Testament it types out sacrifices, the tabernacle, all of these many uh, shadows, all of these many dim forms that were preparing us and, and, and leading the way that when Christ was revealed, all of these types would meet with the anti-type, would meet with their fulfilment in Jesus Christ. Well, so it is as Christ as the true light, all other forms of light that we have ever known, they're all but a type of this true light of Christ. We see an example of how that is so in Hebrews chapter 8. We read in verse 2 of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. And the apostle in Hebrews in that verse is explaining how the tabernacle itself was but a type of Christ. And we see there that word true, the very same word. The tabernacle was but a type of Christ and so all other forms of light are but a type of Christ. Everything else is a mere shadow of him. But he was the original light, the anti-type, but here's the important thing. This light is not merely to light up our room, to light up our world, to help us to see with our physical eyes, but rather this was the light of life. We read in verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This idea of light and darkness is not confined in these words to the mere physical. The sense of light is clearly a reference to inner spiritual light or life. That's what Christ, as the true light, is the source of He is the source of all spiritual enlightenment, all spiritual life. In First John 1, we read more of this light, and there we're told in verse five that God is light. John goes on in the next two verses of that chapter of the epistle to make it absolutely clear to us that to walk in this light is to be in fellowship with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, then, we see as the true light, is a life-giving light. He is the life-giving light. He is the only source of true spiritual enlightenment. These things are basic concepts. and They're things that God, in his wisdom, in revealing to us, these mysterious truths about himself and about his son. He has used these terms and things that we can almost reach out and touch. Concepts that we can grasp and understand for ourselves. We're bound in a, in a sense by what we can see and know and experience ourselves. We have no real true sense of eternity. We have never experienced anything other than one moment following after another so God accommodates himself in his word and makes it plain to us using these simple concepts that we're able to understand. Light and darkness, these concepts are known to us. We know that light and darkness cannot coexist. Where there is light, there cannot be darkness. They're concepts that are easily translated through our own Christian experience, our own life experience. We're familiar with good and evil. Spirit and flesh. Heavenly and earthly. Life and death. Dark and light. These are things, these concepts, these abstract concepts are things that we come to understand even in our youngest days. We come to experience them. So God opens up this revelation of his son to us. Using this simple concept of dark and light. But he is the true light. Jesus Christ is the true life. It is only to be found through him. <clears throat> but secondly, we see from this verse that Christ comes into the world. And the verse reads, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That last clause, that cometh into the world, is a reference to the true light. It's not saying every man that cometh into the world. What it is telling us here is the true light. It's the true light that cometh into the world. From this phrase we get another glimpse of the eternal light. In the earlier verses in the chapter John has been inspired to build up a picture of Christ. That would reveal itself more and more clearly to us. He's layering truth upon truth upon truth. When he gets to this stage he has already described Christ as the Word. And we are taught uh, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In other words the Word has always existed. From all eternity this Word existed. We are told that he was God and that he was with God. And these two things are not repetition. There's no tautology here of repeating the same thought twice. What we see from those words is a distinction between the person of the Father and the person of the Son. But yet we also see that there is but one God. We cannot possibly comprehend that. But we apprehend it in faith as the doctrine of the Trinity. We see him as the creator by whom all things were made. But then these grand themes of light and life are introduced and it's all welded together into this. He's the life-giving light. But in all of these things, it's important for us to see that he is eternal. He is the eternal light. He was shining before the world began. Before God said, let there be light, he was shining in the Garden of Eden. When God said that the woman, the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. He was shining when Moses was inspired to write that great first written revelation of God to man. He was shining through all the prophets. Did you see him shining when we read Isaiah 49? Shining as a light to the Gentiles. Shining as a light to the cast off Jews drawing them back. Shining through all eternity. Christ then did not begin to shine at his incarnation. For he has been shining eternally. And glimpses of that light, glimpses of that shining have been caught in Israel. They've been caught in the tabernacle. Glimpses of the glory were caught in the temple. Among the Jewish people of God throughout that Old Testament economy. Throughout all those sacrifices, all the blood of bulls and goats, all the cleansing rituals, Christ was shining. But what we see is through all of that, but a dim reflection of this true light. Now in verse 9, we have this dramatic opening up because the eternal light becomes the incarnate light we read that that eternal light cometh into the world. We saw this morning that the lifetime of Christ, all of his person and work on earth, was the apex of human history. That day in which the eternal light became incarnate, the opening up of that day, the reaching of the summit. This is one of the great mysteries of the gospel, how that the eternal Son of God could become man Could take on our flesh. Our limited. Finite. Flesh. Eternal light. Clothed in the frail garment of humanity. The light. When Christ becomes incarnate however. The light did not become brighter. Eternal light has not changed the light that was shining in the old testament was as bright as it is in the new but how that light is experienced by man is vastly different <clears throat> hebrews uh, the book of hebrews and the opening verses of that uh, of that book uh, this very change uh, of the eternal light shining dimly uh, becoming a more clear and apparent shining to us in the New Testament. It's described in these words in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God who at sundry times and in divers manners speck in time past on to the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world. This eternal light that has been previously shining out under cover of shadows and types. It has all been in a measure obscured. The light is as bright as it has ever been. That eternal light is unchanging. But is, it is obscured through the types and the shadows, through all the ceremonies. Now we see that obscurity is taken away. Now we see the veil being drawn back. Now we see the types being fulfilled. Now we see Christ revealed. It's being seen in a way that it was never seen before in the very person of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, it notes that obscurity when it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Again, not saying, like John the Baptist, it's not saying that the law was false. It wasn't a false light. But it was obscure. It was dim. It was a mere reflection of the true light. But now, but now, grace and truth. But not only did that eternal light become incarnate, We see that that eternal light is gospel light. We must see. It was not simply the appearance of Christ incarnate that brought light. There is no life, if I can say this respectfully, there is no life simply in the humanity of Christ. Rather, it was the coming into the world that is here put as a figure of speech for the entire person and the entire work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made incarnate. (laughs) The good news, the gospel, is not that Jesus Christ became a man. Rather, as the rest of the book of John spells out, the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the eternal light, became one of us. Not simply a man, but one of us. That's the nub of it. That's the life-giving truth of the light of the incarnation. He lived a perfect life. He kept the law of God perfectly. Not only doing no evil, which we are incapable of, of, of maintaining, but in doing all good, which we are equally incapable of performing. And the incarnation tells us, the true light coming into the world tells us that he did it on our behalf because we couldn't. Not simply a man, but one of us. The gospel is that having lived that perfect life, He suffered and he died in his humanity, in our humanity, on the cross. He suffered the eternal wrath of an an offended God. He was bearing the punishment for the sins of his elect people. He was consuming that eternal wrath in a moment. And he bore it all for us because we couldn't. This is the true light that has come. This is the light that explains all those sacrifices. That explains the Levitical priesthood. That explains the types and the shadows of the Old Testament. Is it a thing of wonder to you this evening? That Christ Jesus. The eternal Son of God. The eternally shining true light. Very God of very God. Is it a thing of wonder to you? That he came so low to stand in your place. To take on himself our flesh. A real, a true humanity. Turn it over in your minds. Contemplate it. He was the eternal light. He was a, he was a, a form of light that we cannot even begin to Imagine. The sun is the brightest thing we know, and it doesn't come close. No darkness could abide that glory, that unobscured glory in heaven with the Father. Yet He clothed that glory in this frail human nature. He obscured that glory for a time, He didn't lay it aside. He was still that eternal light, but the splendor of it was shielded for a time. as He was humiliated in our flesh. There were glimpses of that glory. There were glimpses of the light in his miracles, in his teaching. We had a grand display of it in his transfiguration. But these were but mere glimpses of of that true light, of that very light. Yet even with his glory shielded from view, here the Spirit of God describes it as light coming into the world. His glory, the light of the word, even when clothed in humanity was still infinitely more glorious than the rays of light that fell in the world before that moment. But this light then is not passive. It doesn't just simply shine because it can, can't help shining. It's not suspended in some inert state. Rather we see in the third place that Christ shines on every man. That clause in the middle of the verse which lighteth every man. In these words we see the activity that is undertaken by this light. We see first of all that he is a revealer. Christ is not only revealed as he is here for us in this passage of inspired scripture, he's revealed, but he is a revealer. He is the revealer. It is his light that reveals the truth of God. Man is created with this natural light. The heavens declare, the psalmist says, the glory of God. There is a sense in which the light shines in nature. We, we have nature bearing witness to that fact. We have, it, uh, bearing, uh, we have our own conscience, the own conscience of man. If you're of tonight, your conscience is bearing witness of this light. If you're a child of God, your conscience is bearing witness to this light. We see that God's light shines by way of his law being written in our hearts. It's an explanation, is it not, for so much of false religion. What is false religion? But a dim view of the light and a search to find the full glory. But yet they, they serve a God they know not whom. They worship a God they know nothing of. They worship gods of their own imagination, searching for the light that they know must be there. Because they catch little glimpses of it in nature and in conscience. So there is a sense in which the light is so vast that it permeates to some extent to the very conscience of every man. What is specifically in view here, however, is the revelation in the heart of man of the full extent of the gospel of saving grace. Our text is not speaking only of the light of nature or of the light of the conscience. Troubling you for your sin. It's the full revelation of the gospel of saving grace. This light exposes the darkness of your heart. It shows the depravity of your heart. It shows you that that depravity is complete. There is nothing, there is nothing that you bring into this world that is good. There is no state of innocence in childhood. This light exposes it. It reveals the desperation then of the human condition. But not only is Jesus Christ, the true light, a revealer. We also see that he is a regenerator. There is a sense in which God enlightens the minds of every man through what we might call the light of nature. But the higher sense in view here That Jesus Christ is the true light that enlightens the souls of men in the true understanding of the gospel. That, my friends, that is a regenerating light. That kind of light can only wake the dead. The light of the gospel applied by the Holy Spirit to the heart of sinful fallen man can only regenerate them. And put in mind of that occasion when the bones of the prophet were buried and a dead man was thrown into the pit. And when the bones uh, came in contact, the man came in contact with the bones, he was resurrected. That's what we're talking of here life and death. This life that we have through Christ, death cannot abide contact with it. So when the life giving light comes in contact with the darkened soul, By way of the application of the Holy Spirit, there can be no death. There can be no continuing in a deadened state. There must be regeneration. There must be that being born again of the Spirit of God. It's a regenerating light. We can see that from verse 5, that the darkness of the human heart is so deep that it's possible for this light to shine in a sense. In a wider sense, and yet we comprehend it not. The light of nature is not enough. The light of the conscience, man and men and woman, is not enough. We know it is possible for there to be a wicked rejection. Verse ten and eleven tell us of that. The world knew him not; his own received him not. But how does the light shine in such darkness? It shines as it's described for us in verse 12, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The light that shines into the innermost recesses of the soul brings with it the power to become the sons of God. This is not, therefore, something that we do. This must be something done to us. This regenerating work is a work that must be done. This is what it means for the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts. We have that thought brought out clearly in Ephesians 1.18 where Paul describes it like this the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. What eloquence from the apostle in those inspired words the eyes of your understanding being enlightened he's a regenerator but we cannot leave this text without noticing that he's a restrictor this every man that is read here there are many who want to believe that the light of the gospel lightens every man that comes into the world But our text does not teach that. The rest of the the Bible does not teach that. This every man cannot mean every single individual in the world. How can I say that with confidence? We don't need to leave this passage. All we need to read is verse 10. After saying the light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world, we read, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. This light does not lighten every man that cometh into the world with regenerating light. It doesn't. There's a restriction. This every man, however, it does mean this. It means that every man who is lightened by this light is lightened only by this true light. It is the only way of enlightenment. The only way of salvation is to have the true light of the gospel shined upon you. Here then, we meet with a problem. We are in our natural state Incomplete darkness. Only the true light of the gospel. Only the person and work of Jesus Christ. Revealed to us in his word. Is able to save us from that darkness. And yet we cannot enlighten our own minds. How then are we to be enlightened? if you're in this service this evening and you are in this state of darkness, if you have never had the light of the glorious gospel shine into your darkened soul, if you have never had that deadness resurrected unto new life in Christ, if you have never been encountered by that saving power of God, what are you to do The answer has already been given to us. Verse 7. John the Baptist, we are told, came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. Verse 12, it also speaks of receiving him and to believe on his name. My friend, this evening, if you're in your sin and wallowing in your destitution, And having no means to save yourself, no way to grasp this light for yourself, this is the message for you. The only way to salvation is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. To surrender all hope of saving yourself. To stop casting about for sources of light. Outside of the scriptures of God. Outside of the preached word of the gospel. That is the source of light. You need to surrender all hope of saving yourself. And you need to acknowledge your hopelessness. Your helplessness. Your darkness. Your sinfulness. Acknowledge your desperation. But see what we are told in the light of God's word. Concerning the true light. See how he is revealed to your soul this evening. And oh pray that the Holy Spirit would apply it to your heart. As I pray for you. You cannot enlighten yourself. But you must. You must go to that true light that lighteth every man. Amen. Amen. And let's stand for prayer. Our gracious and eternal heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy goodness to us and thy mercy. Oh, we thank thee, O God, that there is such a thing as the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank thee as those who have been saved, those who have been redeemed, that there was ever a day in which the light of this gospel was shed abroad in our hearts. We thank thee that there was ever a time, ever a moment in which the darkness of our soul was enlightened, in which our deadness was regenerated into that new life in Christ. O Lord, we pray for thy people that we would receive this message of the gospel with a new freshness and we would be, Lord, even raised up in our most holy faith. We would be encouraged, Lord, that we would be even a reflection of this light in our lives, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our ministries amongst those whom we know in our communities. Whatever our roles, our functions might be, in our schools, wherever it might be, Lord, might there be something of this witness-bearing of this true light even in every one of the lives of thy people. But, O Lord, how we pray for those in this gathering who know not Christ. How we long for their salvation. How we pray, O God, this evening that among the people listening to the word of God there will be those for whom Christ died those amongst the elect who have yet to close with Jesus Christ as he has freely offered to us in the gospel. Might there be a closing this night. Might there be an awakening of hearts. Might salvation come to this house. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, hear our prayer not for our own sex, not for the sex, O God, of our own denomination, of our own congregation here, of our, not for the sex, Lord, of anything to do with man at all, but hear our prayer for the glory of Thine own name and the extending of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our final singing this evening is from Psalm number 25. Singing from the first version of this psalm, Psalm 25, we'll sing from verse 8 of the first version, verse 8 singing through uh, to the end of verse 14, God good and upright is, the way he'll sinners show, the meek in judgment he will guide and make his path to know, the whole paths of the Lord are truth and mercy sure to those that do his covenant keep and testimonies pure. Uh, singing verses 8 uh, through to the end of 14, uh, let us sing on to the Lord. God good and
1: apply.
0: stand and we'll close our meeting with prayer. <coughs> our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this day. We thank Thee for the time that we have spent in the house of God. and We pray, O God, that those things that we have read and sung and heard would be a blessing to our souls, a challenge to our hearts. They would be food and manna from heaven upon which we would be able to feed upon uh, throughout the week to come. We pray, O God, that even now as we leave this place, we would remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Lord, that we would uh, continue in our thoughts of Thee, that we would continue in our worship uh, in times of private worship and devotion, that, Lord, our conversation would be sanctified, our fellowship would be sweet. Now, Lord, we pray that thou would go before every one, take us to our homes in safety. And, Lord, we pray that thou would bless us and keep us for these things we ask in and through the name of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ.